Amen. Well, thank you. Good morning. How are you all? Good. You're having a good morning? Good. Oh, Abby. Hi, Abby. Sorry, I hadn't seen her here. Hi, everybody else. Um, you're having a good time so far? Good. Why don't you uh, turn to somebody near you and say, I'm having a great morning. I can't wait for the talk. That was me just trying to make myself feel better. Okay, we've got something happening with the lights. Is that, is that meant to be? All right, let's see if this is going to work or not. Oh, look at that. Great. Okay. Um, I thought I'd recap on uh, the series that we started um, for the sake of just trying to help us all move along together. And um, so we're looking at this general area, what are we building? Uh, It came about because we were thinking about the building. And in starting to think about um, our building and what building we might want and uh, how we might go about preparing that process, we had to think, well, what are we building? What are we building? It's, when, you, when you go to buy a house, you need to know what sort of house you need. Do you need a, a flat? Do you need a, a 10-bedroom mansion? Uh, what do you need? You, you've got to know beforehand, and it's determined by what you've got in mind, how, how many kids you're, you've got or you're going to have and all those kind of things. So uh, what are we building? We ought to think about that. Um, so here is the story so far. We're, we're thinking about three levels, what we're building in our individual lives, what we're building together as a church community, and then what we're building into the city. We're, we're called into the city. That's why we're called City Church. We're called into the city, and so we, we thought we'd better have a think about what we're building in the city. Uh, i push too hard. Um, so we're starting with our individual lives. We're all building something. The scripture there from 1 Corinthians talks about what we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and we all build something. The question is what we build with. We spend our lives working at things and and building stuff. We don't often realize that we're building things, but we we are. And however far we've got in our lives, and I look at my life and I think, well, I've got this far. um, and Hopefully I've got a bit further to go. But I have to look at what I've built and what I've been building it with. And the the scripture in Corinthians talks about whether we build with um, gold and silver and precious stones, things that will last or whether we build with um, things that will, will burn up. And they, what we build in our, our lives will be tested. Um, it's not my purpose to, to really talk about all of that now, but let me just say it, it will be tested. And it will be tested severely. And the reason that we want to build with precious things, the things that God gives us to build with, is because those are the things that will withstand. Really, it's saying, build with what God supplies... Don't build with just anything that you find lying around. Go to the, the builder's merchants, God's builder's merchants, the um, uh, Underwoods, that's who it is. Are they still called Underwoods? Haven't they changed their name? Uh, yeah, Underwoods. They're just down the road from me. I love it when I go there because it, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm a builder and I'm not, you know, and there's all these really brilliant tools and 
belts and things and you can buy all this stuff to go in them. I've never bought any because I know it would just sit there and, and not get used. But I just think all these guys that, that walk in and say, oh, I want... And they, they reel off this whole list and I think they're, they're going to, to do something useful and, and practical with that. And what am I doing? I'm just standing up and talking, you know. <laughs> they're, they're building something. And, and we're all building something. We wanted to look at the relationship that we're building with God. And we thought we'd look at Father, Son, and Spirit. Last week we had Rodney talk to us about building a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to uh, try and look at the idea of building a relationship with the Father. What we build in our relationship with God, uh, that is eternal. Because we're going to spend eternity with him. The opportunity we get now is to build a relationship with him whilst we can't see him. Whilst we don't know him as well as we will know him. We build our relationship in in an atmosphere of faith, in an atmosphere of trust. And he reveals himself to us in different ways, through the Spirit, through the Son, through the Father... He reveals himself to us in those different presentations of who he is, those different manifestations of his character. But those things that we, we see of him now, that we grasp hold of now, those will last eternally. Uh, I read Zechariah recently. I think I told you a while ago I read Zechariah recently. And... Um, uh, this this is one of the verses that's really stayed w- with me from it. If you're taking notes, uh, it's Zechariah 8, uh, and I'm going to read uh, verse 23. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In those days, in which days? The days it's talking about are days on earth. It's not talking about some time in a, you know, a kind of never-never land promise. It's talking about days on earth. It may not be the days that we're in now, but we're in the period of time when these things are intended to come about because God has spoken about them. In those days, ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew. He's talking to the Jews, but he's also talking beyond that to all of God's people, all of the people of covenant. That's us. Ten people will clutch hold of your sleeve. Maybe five on each sleeve. I don't know. And they will say, please let us walk with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Just imagine that for a moment. Just literally imagine it. Ten people rushing up to you. Guys, if it helps to imagine that they're all good-looking women, then get some prayer. Just ten people. Ten people looking for God. And they're rushing up to you saying, I've heard that God's with you. Can I walk with you? Didn't even want to know where you were going. Just can I walk with you? Just imagine that. That's what God wants us to imagine. That's his promise to us. That's what we want here in the city. That's what we want in our nation. And it happens because we build 
a deeper, deeper, deeper relationship with God. And all the things that we look at around us that are wrong in the world, we see those starting to be rectified because the relationship that we have built with God is changing what is around us. Our inside is not meant to be changed by what's outside. Our inside is meant to bring change to the outside. Okay? So if your inside is being messed about by what's happening outside you, then let's get the inside built up. Let's get the, the life of God on the inside built up so that it changes the outside. Okay, all of that's introduction. I've only just got to the opening prayer. Let's pray. Father, we want to grow on the inside. We want to, we, we take this, uh, this promise here, which just seems so far off, and we say, let that happen. Let your word come about, that people will see you in us so much, they will be attracted to you. And we won't need to have tools and schemes and programs anymore because of how much you have caused us to grow in you. Lord, let that go a step further this morning. Amen. Okay. Right. Um, We're going to have uh, a brief look at building relationship with the Father. I think I've got three or four scriptures to to go through. And... um, I'm going to start with, with this one, this parable, which uh, many people will know it as the parable, parable of the prodigal son. Do you know, it took me years to find out what prodigal meant. It was parable of prodigal son, and I thought, what's a prodigal? I mean, is it like you prod? You know, you went around prodding people? No. Uh, basically, it's this, this son who went off and wasted his life and then came back. It's all about that. Um, but actually, I don't think it is, predominantly. I think it's predominantly a parable about a father. Because the two parables that precede, there's a parable about a shepherd that looks for a sheep. There's a parable about a woman that looks for a coin that she's lost, a very valuable coin. And there's a parable about a father who loses... Actually, we're going to find out that he doesn't just lose one son. He loses two. So, um, I'm not going to read the the whole thing, I don't think, but um, I'm going to read some, some excerpts. Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons... The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? Okay, now notice this. Just a bit of cultural background here. So the father, tradition said that he would divide his estate between his sons. Actually, tradition said that the older son would get two-thirds, twice as much. The younger son would get a third. Uh, When you read the different versions, um, it's not always clear that that's what happened. And it may have been that in this parable, Jesus said, actually, they both got the same. I don't think that matters too much because what happened is they were given a lot. And this younger son said, don't you think it's time to share, uh, to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? He wasn't asking for something that wasn't his. He was asking for something that was already due to be given to him. So the father went ahead. This within the culture, again, just Very, very unusual, unheard of. All the Jewish listeners at the time would have gone, what? That's outrageous. That's like the son saying to his father, 
I wish you were already dead. Give me what I can have when you're dead, but give it to me now, because I want it now. So the father went ahead. He distributed among the two sons their inheritance. So, got the picture? Both sons have been given their inheritance already. What does the father now have? What does the father now have? Nothing. He's given it all to his sons. Sons and daughters. Just again to clarify, for those that don't know, the reason it always talks about sons is because sons were the ones who received the inheritance within the, the culture. What it means is children. Okay? So, sons and daughters. So, remember, what's the father got now? Nothing. Because? Giving it away to his to those who would inherit. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings, travelled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given. He did not understand the value of what he'd been given. He didn't recognise how precious it was. Just think about an inheritance that this father gave him. His father worked for that inheritance. His father built it up. He was probably a a pretty shrewd businessman. He was probably very successful. It was, a, I would imagine, a significant inheritance. The rest of the story gives me that kind of feel, that this was a a father who owned stuff. And this son, he didn't recognise its value. So he went off and wasted it. Um... Uh, With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him, sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs, because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing, and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want, with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. His inheritance is gone. He doesn't feel that he is any longer worthy. The young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to him. Quite significant because uh, with the son returning, what should have happened is that the, um, the elders of the, uh, the area, the village or town or whichever, um, obedient son could by law have been stoned. Tough if you were a disobedient son in those days. But he could have been stoned. That was one of the stoning offences. The father rushed out to him to get there first and to say, this is my son. He's, I'm not treating him as a disobedient son. In fact, um, fathers never uh, ran. It was very undignified for a, a guy to run in those days. Um, uh, so uh, then the son starts to... Re- he's rehearsed his speech already, so then he starts to trot out his speech. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be the father interrupted. You ever had God interrupt you? You've been talking to God and pouring out your, your sins and how awful and, and, and rotten you are. And God just says, whoa, stop. 
Uh, what about Jesus? He's already forgiven all that stuff you're, you're, you're trying to still get forgiveness for. That's just by the by. The, the father interrupted him. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my own robe, my very own robe. Now remember, the father in this parable is a type of the father. Okay? We're talk, talking about how do we get to know God better. This is how God, our father, treats those who have wasted their inheritance, who haven't seen the value of it. Bring me the best robe, my very own robe, my robe, not just a good one I've got hanging up in the wardrobe with all the other robes, a spare one. No, bring my robe. Which robe do we wear? The robe of righteousness, okay? A robe of right relationship. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is not just being sort of clean and, and sort of squeaky clean like your hair when you wash it. It's about being in right relationships with God. Um, uh, hang on, where am I? Um, place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship. And I will put it on his finger. I will put it on his finger. He's not asking a servant to put it on his finger. He's saying, I will. I will bestow it on him. And bring out the best shoes so I can put them on him. Because in the household, servants didn't wear shoes. Only the family wore shoes. Um, Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead. Now he's alive again. Once he was lost, now he's found. Everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Okay, here's a son who received his inheritance and wasted it. I think sometimes that's because... uh, People do that because they don't recognize what, what they've been given. I wonder if we recognize what we've been given. My question to myself is, do I understand what God's given me? Do I understand the inheritance that the Father has given me? Uh, By the time we get to the end here, I hope you will realize that my answer to that is no. Um, I don't think I do understand it fully. My guess is maybe we all don't. So here's a son that didn't understand his inheritance. Um, But... We've got another son. The older son became angry. He refused to go in and celebrate. So, it, um, no, no, no. Uh, uh, sorry, I've, I've skipped ahead. Now, the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. As he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? Why didn't he go and ask his dad? Why did he have to ask a servant what was happening? Why didn't he ask his dad what was happening? What do you think the relationship was like between this older son and his dad? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry. He refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you? performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son. And I've never once disobeyed you. But you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. And then he goes on and moans about his brother a bit more. Uh, Father said, 
My son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. Remember a little while ago we said, what's the father got left? Father's given it all away. So one son wastes what he was given. What's the other son doing? He's wasting it too. You see, because he's working, he still thinks he's a hired hand. And he wants rewarding for his faithfulness. He said, you've never once rewarded my faithfulness. And the father says, you've already got it. You've already got everything of mine. It's no good thinking, I'm going to give you something more for your faithfulness. I mean, I love faithfulness, but that's not why I gave it to you. I gave it to you because you're my son. What it seems to me that this story is saying is we've got some sons that have been, and some, uh, let's, let's call them children, otherwise we'll get confusing. We have children who've been given their inheritance, and they haven't understood what it is. I think we get to know the father better by understanding what he's given us. You see, um, we have Valentine's Day coming up. So imagine you're giving something special to somebody on Valentine's Day and uh, you've gone to a lot of trouble, you've really thought about it and you've presented it beautifully, you've wrapped it up, you give it to the person and they don't open it. And they just think, oh, how nice, somebody gave me a present. And, and they may be incredibly grateful for the present, but they don't open it, and so they don't know what it is, and they can't use the present that you've gone to all the trouble to think about and give to them. I think that's one of the big problems that we as a church have. I don't just mean we, I mean we as a church. We don't understand what the Father has given us. So, um, the whole process of... Uh, I, mean, I could, could finish the talk now and say, uh, you want to get to know the Father better? Understand what he's given you. Okay, let's have coffee and I'll sit down. But I am going to say a bit more, so I'm sorry about that. You'll just have to, to wait for the coffee. Hmm? <laughs> right, you have to wait to the end. So, don't ever be afraid, dearest friend. Your loving Father joyously gives you his kingdom realm with its promises. So we have been given a kingdom realm. Some translations it talks about we have been given the rain. The rain, not the the rain on the horse rain, the rain uh, of authority rain. We've been given the rain. What we have been given is related to kingdom kingship. It's related to authority. It's precious. It's special. The Lord has been through a difficult process to get to the point where he can give it to us. I know that sounds strange, but that's, that's the whole point of, of Jesus coming and crucifixion and, and resurrection and ascension and the Holy Spirit coming and so on and so forth. It's so that we can receive what God has wanted us to receive all along. To be those who bring the reign of God's kingdom into the earth. The love, the joy, the peace, the the kindness, the generosity, the goodness, the healing, the forgiveness. All of those things. 
And we get to know the Father better as we understand that that's what he has already given us. We don't want to be like the prodigal who just went off and had a whoopee time without understanding the preciousness of what he'd been given. Nor do we want to be like the other one who just stayed and served. Who, dare I say it, turned up every week and put the chairs out and never understood the generosity of the one who had provided the reason for putting the chairs out. Okay, so how do we find out what it is that the Father's given us? Uh, um, let's go to 1 Corinthians, if you happen to be uh, uh, following this in your Bible. Um, 1 Corinthians 13. Who's heard 1 Corinthians 13 read at a wedding? I might even had it read at my wedding. can't remember. It was so long ago. I remember being there. I know I was there. Um, but I can't remember much of what happened. Um, uh, we've got it on a, a, a VHS, or I've got it on a VHS video somewhere. And uh, when the kids were little, they used to love to watch it. And then they got bored watching it. And I haven't watched it since. So that's, that's uh, not that I need to watch it. Like I said, I, I was there, I know. Right, uh, verse 2, uh, chapter 13, verse 2. I've never heard this spoken at a wedding. Um, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains and didn't love others, I would be nothing. Now, I've heard that read, and the implication I've taken from that for years, years and years and years and years, is that I need to be loving. And I try, and I do my best. And that's, that's why we read it, because it's a beautiful passage about the love of God. There's no getting away from that, but... I was thinking about this, and I saw this, and I just thought, I've never seen that before. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans, possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith, I could move mountains. You see, Paul isn't saying we can't have those things. Paul isn't saying those are not things to be sought after. He's not saying... You can't have all of God's secret knowledge. He's not saying you can't have faith to move mountains. What he's saying is, if you're seeking that, make sure you seek it with love. Make sure you get love as well. Otherwise, you're just doing all these things without love and you're just a horrible noise. Now, actually, the implication is you could seek all those things. You could have all those things. You could see all those things. You could be moving mountains. You could be prophesying until the cows came home and went away and came home again. And you could be doing all that and have no love and it would just be a horrible noise. So it makes me think, so, so that means that I can understand all of God's secret plans. It means you can understand all of God's secret plans. Tell somebody else, because the person sitting next to you doesn't believe it. You can understand all of God's secret plans. Because it's here. Paul wrote it. He didn't write it to say, oh, I was only joking. 
you can't really understand all of God's secret plans. He's saying, no, you can. That's the inheritance of the kingdom. That's what the two sons were given. They were given everything by the father. But they didn't understand it. So how am I going to understand all of God's secret plans? Okay, thankfully, Paul's already thought of that. And uh, what was the verse? Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. Um, This will be familiar to some of you as well. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. Um, But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit... uh, Who's his Spirit? Holy Spirit. Where does he live? In us. I'm just checking. Work with me here. Come on. Wake up, folks. Come on. His Spirit searches out some things, a bit, everything, and shows who? Us. What? God's deep secrets. I'm going to read that again. His Spirit, that's the one who lives in us, searches out everything, no exceptions, and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. I don't know what you're thinking. You don't know what I'm thinking. Only the person's spirit knows that. No one, uh, no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. But what have we just read? God's own spirit searches those things out to tell us. That seems pretty amazing. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? You can answer that question if you want, because I've already given you the answer. Why would he do that? Because we are those that inherit the kingdom. We're those that inherit everything that the Father has to give. Now, I know some of you are thinking, ah, oh, yes, but Graham, just hold the, ah, oh, yes, but Graham. Just, just go on what the bits that I'm reading out tell us, okay? There's no restriction to how much we can know the Father. But there is a proverb that says, I think it's Proverbs 24, it's either 24 or 25, near the beginning of the, the chapter somewhere. Um, it's a king's privilege to hide something. Uh, it's, it's God's privilege to hide something. It's the king's privilege to find it. There is a principle that God hides things from us. He doesn't give it to us all at once. He hides things. Why? So that we can find them. The analogy I've heard, uh, and I've, it's probably been used here before, is an analogy of uh, the Easter egg hunt that you might do for small children. Um, Easter's coming up, and uh, sometimes we still have this tradition, we have Easter egg hunts. And when the children are really small, you hide the eggs in plain sight because you want them to find them. You don't hide them so that they'll never find them. You don't, you don't tuck them away and say, yeah, maybe when you're about 37 you'll find that. I mean, I know sometimes they don't find them and you find them in the summer when you mow the lawn or you're doing the weeding or something. You think, oh, that's what happened to that egg. But God hides them so that we can find them. And because they're hidden, we don't know what they are. So far from searching for something where you know what it is, God encourages us to search for something where we don't know what it is, we don't know where it is, but we know that the Father wants us to find it. 
Isn't that weird? I think that's a bit strange, but it's as though um, it's as though God takes me for a walk, and He says, "Okay, Graham, we, we're going to go and look for something." I say, "Oh, great! What is it?" Oh, I'm not going to tell you that. Oh, where is it? Oh, I'm not going to tell you that either. But if you come with me, we'll find it. So you just start to walk, and you start to look. My dad used to, uh, I grew up in the country, my dad used to uh, take me for walks. We'd go out with the, with the dog and he'd say, look at that. And I'd go, what? And he'd go, that. He's a very specific guy, my dad. He'd go, that. And I'd go, so then he'd have to say, no, that over there. And he'd point out something that, uh, uh, he'd also do it when we were driving. Steve, don't listen to this bit, but um, Steve's the driving instructor for those who don't know. So, you know, you're supposed to, most of the time, look forward at where, where the road's going. My dad knew where the road was going. He'd been on it before. So he'd look around at all the other things. Did cause one or two problems. But, um, and he'd go, he'd always be looking out in the fields and looking for other things. And as I got older, I'd think, maybe we should look at the road, Dad. You know, I, I can drive. You can look around. Yeah. But he wanted me to to see things. He wanted me to find things. Your father wants you to see things. He wants you to find things. I'll give you a clue. The best place to start is here. This is the best place to start. There isn't anything that you won't find in here. Okay? He may show you things from some other things around and from people and, and so on. But it is all here. Okay? The complete... Revelation. If, you, if you're not a fan of this book or however you read it, um, my encouragement is become one. Become a fan of it. Because that's where you find the Father. So he hides things for us to find them. We don't know what they are. We don't know where they are, but we know that we find them with him. Um, some of the things that I've found, and many of you will have this story as well, the things that I find are in the times when I'm clinging to him the closest, when I'm holding on to him the closest. And that's often in the more difficult times in life. And we just become more attuned to find, to clinging to him. And we don't cling to him because we want to find things. We cling to him because we want to cling to him because we haven't got anything else to do. So we say, oh, I'm just going to cling. But in those times, sorry, that sounded strange, didn't it? In those times, I was going to say something else and I kind of adjusted mid-word. In those times, that's when I found some of the most precious things. Now, the key is to cling to him like that all the time. Not just when it's tough and life is horrible, but all the time. The measure of our discipleship is often not when things are going badly, actually when things are going well. That's a different matter. Okay, so we've been given an inheritance. But God doesn't reveal the whole thing to us straight away. He wants us to search, ask, seek, knock, all that kind of stuff. 
Ask and go on asking. Seek and go on seeking. Knock and go on knocking. Ever wondered why your prayers don't get answered first time? Because God wants you to know him. He wants you to build a relationship with him. To build a relationship of trust. You keep asking people that you trust. If you don't trust them, you'll stop. But if you do trust them, and you trust them to answer, then you will keep asking. Because you know you're not pestering, you know you're not being a nuisance, you're just waiting for the time that the answer is revealed. Sometimes the answer is held up by him because he wants us to to learn something. Sometimes the answer is held up because we're not ready to receive it yet. There are lots of things that I'm asking for that... The reason they're not happening, I know, is because I'm not ready to receive them yet. I wouldn't cope with the answers well. If God answered all my prayers, I don't think I have the character to cope with those yet, if I'm really honest. But it doesn't stop me asking. It doesn't stop me, because I know that in the asking, I get to know God better. That changes my character and enables my character to be able to handle the answers to the things that I'm asking for. So always ask for something beyond where you are. Don't ask God for things that you can already do, in, in that sense. I mean, again, un- understand me right. Like, you know, if, you, if you're somebody that regularly sees people come to know Jesus, then that's That's wonderful. But don't just pray for ones and twos to come to know Jesus. Because you know that's going to happen already. God's released that grace to you. Ask for the hundreds and the thousands. Because you may not be ready to handle that level of anointing and responsibility yet. But you will be. And the fact that you're already asking shows God that you want to be. Basically, what you're saying is, Lord, mold my character in such a way that I can handle a greater revelation of who you are and a greater release of what you want to do through me. That should be our, our goal as a church. And when we look at a bit more at us as a church, one of the things that we, we're kind of thinking is, what, what do we want as a church? It's, we're not in competition with the other churches. We just want to go as far as we can in knowing God and understanding him and having his presence with us so that people come and they're tugging on our sleeves saying, hey, I've heard God's with you. Can I come with you? Okay. I'm having a great time up here. You having a great time, Graham? I am having a great time. Do you think they're having a great time? I have no idea. Okay. John 14. Uh, I put it, no, I haven't. I've got a thing here. Hey, how about that? John 14. Um, I think John 14 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's certainly one that I have read often. Um, I'm going to read it uh, up to verse 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. This is an aside, by the way, but in the... Passion Translation, he translates that as don't yield to your fear. I think that's such an inspired, fantastic thing. That's like saying fear, that this is 
it might be to do with this, but I just love this so much, I've got to tell you. Fear comes right up to us, and, and it stares us in the face like this, and it says, yield, give in to me, be afraid. And the passage says, don't give in to it. And you know the way not to give in to it? Fear's there, so you just turn around, because God is there. And I think what happens is, as we turn and look at God, or Jesus, or however you want to imagine it, I think God just, fear watches us. It's watching what we do. And as we turn around, it's as though God just goes to fear. Ooh. And fear runs away. I don't care how far away it is, as long as I'm not looking at it. It could be right behind me. I'm not bothered, because I know that he's bigger. Uh, That might be helpful to somebody. Uh, There's more than enough room in my father's home or my father's house. If this were not so, I would have told you... uh, Sorry. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way where I'm going. So here comes Thomas with uh, a really good question like... um, No, we don't know, Lord. Uh, We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Like, what are you talking about? Uh, And Jesus uh, helpfully says, um, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. You can imagine Thomas going, is that supposed to be helpful? Um, No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you'd know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So this is about knowing the Father. This is the disciples. Disciples who've spent three years with Jesus. They've seen incredible things. They've heard incredible things. They've experienced wonderful things. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Notice what? The question was, Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you all this time and you don't know who I am? Philip's asking about the Father. Jesus is telling them about who he is. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay. A well-known statement. But really it's saying, if we want to get to know the Father, get to know Jesus. I know some people find it difficult to relate to God as father because of their own relationship with their earthly fathers. Um, I'm grateful that that wasn't a big factor in my life, but it is a big factor for many people. And I understand that fully. And Jesus is saying, you can get to know the father by knowing me. Because everything about Jesus is an exact representation of the father. There's no difference. There's no difference. You know, this, um, this film, the, the Shack, which is showing, is it this Friday? It's on next, right, I know I'm not around when it's, when it's on. Um, this is a personal recommendation. Um, go and see it. Thank you. There's two personal recommendations. I went to see it um, in the cinema, and I had to go up to Birmingham. It was a massive cinema, and um, I think there were about four of us in there. Um, and uh, I'd read the book, and I, I'd read the book a, cu- a couple of times. Um, 
And I just sat in the cinema and I cried. I cried. And I cried. I couldn't see the film half the time because I was crying so much. The, it, the book, I just thought the book was inspired. I think that I went to see the film because I thought, I'm not sure the film will work. The film works. Believe me, the film works. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, go and see the film. Um, and then read the book. Because I think the man has had such a, a deep revelation of God. It's not... It's not the fullest, and it's not, it's not the best. I'm just saying he's had a deep revelation of God. It deals with some deep issues. Um, it's, a, it's about pain and bereavement and grief, and, and you know, it, it would just really help you, I think. Anyway, advert over. Back to this. Don't you believe that I am in the Father, the Father's in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me. And he does his work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. At least believe because of the work that you've seen me do. Some uh, translations say believe because of the miracles. Now, when it talks about miracles in the New Testament, it's linguistically... Um, so I've read. Um, it's mixing up a whole load of different Greek words that refer to all sorts of wonderful things. Words that mean um, work, words that mean a sign, words that mean a wonder, and words that mean power. And so lots of the time when we read in English um, miracles or works or something, it's combining all of those ideas. Works, sign, wonder, power. It's not just the kind of obvious demonstrated miracles, the power miracles, where something just incredibly wonderful happens. It is those, but it's lots of other things as well. It's the compassion. It's the kindness. It's the love. It's the help. It's the attention given to an individual that we, we see only glimpses of in the Gospels. But just imagine, Jesus was like that all the time. Jesus was like that with children all the time. Jesus was like that with outcasts and people that were shunned by society, people who were regarded as sinners. Jesus was like that all the time. Even his disciples shouldn't have been disciples. They were all misfits. They were all in in some way or other completely lacking any qualifications to be followers of, of a religious leader and yet Jesus embraced them all. People that were around Jesus, the women that uh, that travelled with him, and so on. I mean, that he shouldn't have done that. They were all signs. They were all wonders, and sometimes they were powerful things. People being raised from the dead, a, a, a cripple uh, dis, uh, lowered through the ceiling, healed, but sins forgiven, hope restored, confidence handed out to people if you want to know what the father is like look at those things okay so quick question how's anybody else going to know what the father's like through our lives top of the class (laughs) top of the class did you all hear that when we're when we're looking like jesus when we're doing the things that that jesus does but that's that's how we build our relationship with the Father. Like, 
you're in a situation where you feel fearful. Um, that happens to uh, most of us um, from time to time. And you know, fear's right there. And it's saying, yield, yield, give in to your fear. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to face Jesus or the Father or the Holy Spirit or whoever you want to face. Um, and, and people see that. People see that you're not afraid. They're seeing the works of the Father. They're understanding that that's how the Father displays himself. And so what's happening in you is you're building a relationship with the Father. So as well as getting to know the Father through this, we get to know the Father by doing, by doing the works of Jesus because the works of Jesus were the works of the Father. What's more, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the one who empowered Jesus to do the works of the Father, wasn't he? If the Holy Spirit can empower Jesus, he can empower us. That seems to me pretty cool. The the word father appears in the New Testament um, something, well, appears overall in Scripture about a thousand times, but lots and lots of those references are about earthly fathers. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and he was the father of someone else and so on. Um, in the New Testament, it appears, again, it depends on which version you look it up in, um, uh, but it's around 380 times, something like that. Um, a quarter of those are in the Gospel of John. And um, I've heard it said that the Gospel of John is the greatest revelation of the Father, because Jesus talks about the Father constantly in John. Um, Some people would even say, actually, the reason that Jesus came to earth was to reveal the Father. It was primarily why he came, was to reveal the Father. I think the Gospel of John is a good place to start in trying to build our relationship with the Father. Um, Go back again, read it again, and say, Father, show yourself to me through this. And, And each time it it says Father, how, depending on how you read it and how you mark these things. Maybe mark it out and just say, okay, what, what are you telling me about you through this reference to, the, to you here? Why, why is Jesus talking about the Father? Why isn't he just using the, the term Lord or, or God in some way? He's, he wants to introduce something that John certainly wants to give the impression that Jesus was introducing that. That's obviously what John took from the ministry of Jesus was an introduction to the Father. And the more we get to know the Father, the more confidence we have in him of what he's doing and of what we, we see him doing. I, I, had a really, I had a really funny thought uh, Friday. Um, I was at a, the um, group of schools that I, I work with in the UK and we had a conference and uh, somebody was praying, and I started thinking about the Winter Olympics. Um, I'm not saying the prayer was not interesting or worthwhile. I just started thinking about the Winter Olympics. And I started thinking about the, um, the Korean ice hockey team. Um, because uh, for those that, that don't know, uh, I'll go back to the beginning. Um, the Winter Olympics are a sporting festival. It happens every four years. 
lots of people on snow and ice and falling over. Okay, that's what the Winter Olympics are. It's in South Korea at the moment. Um, uh, there's been a bit of tension between North Korea and the rest of the world. You might have noticed that. Um, and um, a good number of, of people have been saying the end of the world again, it's Armageddon um, or whatever the Korean uh, equivalent is. And um, the Koreans have done nothing to uh, dissuade people from that opinion and firing off um, rockets over Japan and goodness knows where else. And uh, lots of people have become very concerned about that, I think rightfully so. Suddenly, in the sporting arena, the Koreans announced that they're going to have a joint team. A joint team. Who saw that coming? There's relevance to this. Just stay with me, okay? There's relevance. You're looking a bit bemused, some of you, but... Okay? And the Korean ice hockey team... I have to tell you, the Koreans are not much good at ice hockey, but uh, maybe that's why they wanted the North Koreans, because they thought maybe they'd never have a few decent players that they didn't know about. Anyway, they, they decided to, to play together. The South Koreans and the North Koreans have not played together in a long time, you know, since about the end of the Korean War. And, um, and then even more extraordinary, the, um, it's uh, Kim Jong-in or King, Kim somebody. can't remember which, which one it is that we're on now. Kim? Jong-un, thank you. His sister, he sends his sister to the games. His sister delivers a handwritten invitation from her brother, the reclusive dictator of North Korea, to, she hand-delivers it to the, um, the president of South Korea. An invitation for the president of South Korea to visit North Korea. That has not happened since the Korean War. Who saw that coming? Do you know what I think? I think that's happened because people have been asking the Father. Because I've come across all sorts of people that are praying for the Korean situation. And I've looked at it, and occasionally you get something on Facebook and say, oh, pray for Korea. And I just think, I haven't got the faith to pray for Korea. I'm sorry, Lord, if you can do something in Korea, great. But, but people have been praying, and something is happening. Something is happening. And, and that's what came into my mind during the prayer meeting. And what came into my mind was this. Um, God wants to affect reconciliation. One of the works of God is reconciliation. He brings things together. Reconciliation. He can do it with nations. And he does it in our lives and in our hearts. The reconciliation he's bringing together is the reconciliation of the son the child who ran back and said I'm not worthy to be a child anymore just treat me like a servant and the father said no you're home son you're home God the father wants us to be reconciled to him we can build our relationship with him and as we build our relationship with him we help the world to rebuild their relationship with him. Okay, let's pray.
Father, we want to know you better. We want to know your spirit better. We want to know your son better. And we want to know you better. We realize that you have given us an incredible inheritance, but we don't know what it is. So that's what we want to know better. We realize that you hide things, and we don't know what they are, and we don't know where they are, but we know that you want us to find them. So that's what we want. We realize as well that you want to show yourself through the work that you do, through the wonders, through the signs, through the uh, the power. And we ask for that as well, Father, in whichever way that can be demonstrated. And Father, where we carry hurts in our heart that keep us distanced from your fatherhood in particular. Will you bring healing to those? Holy Spirit, will you be the one who brings healing from our Heavenly Father to us? Healing of all the things that prevent us from knowing Him better. Thank you that your capacity to heal is incredibly stronger than the capacity that anything has had to hurt us in the past. And Holy Spirit, will you touch people now and continue to touch them, please, in releasing your fatherhood into people's lives. Amen.